0: 10-3 is brought to you by Odyssey Golf. I gotta say, this is a stroke of genius. The new Stroke Lab putters from Odyssey are engineered to build a better stroke. Odyssey completely rebalanced the putter by using a multi-material shaft that moved weight towards the head and the grip. You'll feel the difference immediately. And with every putt, you'll actually be building a better stroke. And a better stroke is what makes more putts. The new Stroke Lab from Odyssey, the number one putter in golf, Learn more at odysseygolf.com. A scathing report from the Federal Ethics Commissioner has brought the SNC-Lavalin scandal back into the news cycle. And with a federal election looming, it could prove problematic for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. We look at what the report says, what new we have learned, and what the fallout has been in Ottawa. Keep apprised of all the goings-on in the lead-up to the federal election by subscribing to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Brian Platt covers federal politics for the National Post. So, Brian, many Canadians thought they had heard the last of the SNC-Lavalin scandal and the pressure that the Prime Minister's office had put on then-Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould to enter basically a, a prosecution deal with the company relating to charges they were facing dealing with their overseas work. Why is this back in the news now? Well,
1: we always knew that there was an ethics commissioner probe happening of this matter, but these ethics commissioner uh, examinations sometimes take years. It takes forever. People may recall there was an ethics commissioner examination of the Mike Duffy and Nigel Wright affair, and it came out well after the conservatives were out of government. So mm-hmm. even though the ethics commissioner was looking into this, it was not clear how fast the report was going to come out. I think the people thought that he was probably going to try to get it out ahead of the election. It came out almost by a surprise uh, this week. I don't think anybody thought that this was going to happen so quickly. So the ethics commissioner actually did quite a, uh, efficient job in his report, got it out faster than people thought it was going to. And it also contained, uh, some new information and quite a few damning, uh, details and a damning conclusion about the prime minister's involvement in this.
0: So what did Mario Dion, the ethics commissioner, what did he say in his report that was new information? Uh, and what was some, what were his damning conclusions?
1: The the most devastating part of the report for the prime minister is the is the ethics commissioner's conclusion that that Trudeau it, was directing a what effectively a pressure campaign on the attorney general, and so we you know we knew that there was various prime minister's office staffers uh, who had been talking with Jody Wilson-Raybould's office. We knew she had that phone call with. The Privy Council Clerk Michael Wernick. We knew that there was some staffer uh, in um, Finance Minister Bill Morneau's office who was talking to, to it, but the Ethics Commissioner, you know, got the evidence about all of that, but concluded that none of these people would have been doing this if it was not for the Prime Minister's determination to over to get a remediation deal for SNC-Lavalin, and it was uh, it was the Prime Minister who directed was in charge of this effort to circumvent his own attorney general. And and particularly the fact that the prime minister is the only person out of all of these people who is in a superior position of power to the attorney general, so it is only him who could have been subjecting her to this kind of pressure. He's the one who ultimately takes responsibility for it. And so we got new details about, you know, and some of this is uh, probably a little in the weeds except for people who are big uh, SNC-Lavalin affair junkies. But we did get more details about just how extensive the contact was between SNC-Lavalin and their legal counsel and staffers in the prime minister's office. And it paints a picture of a government that was going to great lengths to help a company avoid a prosecution. Of course, Trudeau's argument is we did this for the sake of jobs, but there's no denying that they were working closely, very closely with SNC-Lavalin to try to overturn the decision of their own attorney general.
0: What was the specific ruling that the ethics commissioner made in relation to the breach of the act?
1: The the ethics commissioner found that Section 9 of the Conflict of Interest Act was violated. And the specific breach that took place here, according to Mario Dion, was that Justin Trudeau used his public office as prime minister to influence another person. And this is the key part, to improperly further another person's private interests. So in this case, that another person's private interest was the company, the corporation seen as a person. And That phrase improper is the key one here in that Mario Dion concluded that Trudeau was violating the Shawcross doctrine, which is the, the, the principle of that, you know, politicians don't get involved in the criminal courts, that you don't use political pressure on the attorney general to get involved and to, to direct a a criminal prosecution. The attorney general gets independence on those matters. And so, uh, You know, Trudeau is saying this was a public interest thing, and you know, you can have arguments over how much of this was about the public interest and how much, you know, jobs are really at stake and everything. The ethics commissioner focused on the fact that SNC Lavalin's interests were being furthered through improper means. And that is why he ruled the act was broken.
0: So why is this problematic for the Prime Minister?
1: You know, this dominated the news. The at first the Globe and Mail was the the media outlet that broke the story on February seventh, and for the next two months, really, it was solid, solid, uh, wall-to-wall coverage of the SNC lavalin affair. It's particularly when testimony came out. Jody Wilson-Raybould gave absolute bombshell testimony at the Justice Committee. Any time a government, even aside from the details of this, and you know, people did have, I think a lot of the public had different reactions to how egregious or not the government's conduct was here. But just the pace of the scandalous uh headlines, it it hurts any government to to have that. It 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 takes all the political oxygen away. It means they can't get the messages out on other things that they want to get a message out on. And it paints a perception of them over time, I think, uh, if they can't get out from a scandal like this of a of a government in trouble and a government with, you know, ethical issues. And But at least they had some space. It sort of dried up in April after Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott uh, were both ejected out of the party over their continued protests over how this affair was handled. And I think that that happened in April and this sort of died down. And... To, you know, it gave them some space between the SNC Lavalin affair and the election, which is expected to start probably in the first two weeks of September. But to have this come out now, Mm -hmm. now we're talking about it all again just as we get close to an election campaign. And so I think that's the part, you know, it's the middle of August, so a lot of people aren't necessarily paying attention. So that might not be, um, that might blunt the effect of this a little bit. But to have this all come back up again so close to the election is pretty bad for Trudeau and the Liberals.
0: Now, in the wake of all this, you know, there's been people who are saying that it's pretty small potatoes that, you know, even if there had been a fine in this case, it would have been a small fine. So that shows that it's not really a serious offense. It's not a criminal offense. It's just an ethics rules breach. But on the flip side, you have, you know, some pretty serious allegations that were deemed to be founded by the person who oversees ethics in government. Has the prime minister accepted the report, or accepted responsibility, or even you know considered an apology in this case? It is
1: Trudeau's reaction to this has been very uh, interesting, and it is a case where he is saying words, but it's not always clear what exactly the words mean and how much effect they have. His line has basically been to say, "I accept the report, but I disagree with." Some of the conclusions that were reached. I take responsibility for what happened, but nobody is getting punished over this. No staffers. It doesn't appear that a single person has been reprimanded, and he has not apologized. In fact, he said, "I won't apologize for standing up for Canadian jobs," and he is. But he has said, "You know, this shouldn't have happened the way it happened. It was a. We didn't get the right balance. There were mistakes were made. You know, in our effort to both." Respect prosecutorial independence and fight for jobs. Who made the mistake? You know, did he make what? What specifically did he do wrong? Who, you know, it, he has not defined exactly what. Mis- what was the mistake here? Who made it? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does he think about what his staffers were saying? Um, how, you know, and why? If he accepts the report, what does that mean? I mean, he's accepting it, but he doesn't. Um, Agree with what the commissioner said. So what does that mean Mm -hmm. when he accepts it? You know, these are, it's a line that is very hard to understand. Uh, It's a very sort of politically calculated line that I think is hard to actually put any uh, concrete meaning behind.
0: I think it's also, it sounds like a political line that he hopes that the general public will kind of look at and say, oh yeah, no, he accepts the report. Okay, you know, we can move on now. Um, But the opposition parties, I don't think, are really willing to let this die yet. What are the conservatives and the NDP and the Greens saying or trying to do with this uh, conclusion from Mario uh, Dion?
1: Well, the Conservatives have never really had anywhere new to go on this because they went to the nuclear option right away <laughs> after Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony, which was, uh, I believe, that was the uh, right near the end of February. Yeah. They said uh, Justin Trudeau needs to resign as Prime Minister, which is you know the heaviest, the biggest thing that you can call for when a scandal breaks out. So they've they've they still have said they think the RCMP should investigate, and but. You know, we're so close to an election now that it will be um, up to the Canadian electorate whether Justin Trudeau gets to stay as prime minister or not. The uh, NDP and the Greens uh, both want to see a public inquiry. And the NDP have, has been calling for that for her. That was their response uh, after Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony. Mm-hmm. So the public inquiry – I mean, I should also say the opposition parties as a whole are seeking to hold a um, – Ethics committee meeting next week. Like a, it will be a parliamentary committee that potentially would invite Mario Dion to come testify. I suspect the, the Liberals hold a majority on this committee, so they can always. It's up to the Liberals whether something happens or not. So we will see. I would be a little surprised if the Liberals let that happen.
0: Yeah, you you know you look at what happened with Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony back in February. You look at what happened in the United States when, uh, Robert Mueller, the, uh, special counsel who was looking into Russian interference in the American election, when he testified, it, it gives a whole new bit of fire to, uh, the story. And I, I can't imagine that the liberals would want to allow that to happen so close to an election were there any other conclusions in the report that you found surprising or or anything out of it that that you know may be of interest to Canadians?
1: I think that the report shows that even more was going on than we realized uh in terms of cooperation between and strategizing is maybe the better way to put it, between SNC Lavalin and its its legal counsel, who in this case is a former Supreme Court justice, and you know, senior staffers in the government. There's a section of the report that outlines how, when uh, SNC Lavalin had applied to the federal court for judicial review, so basically a court challenge of the prosecutor's decision to not give them a remediation agreement. Mm-hmm. So, and while that was happening, while this was before the federal court, Dion's report shows that Prime Minister's Office staffers and SNC Lavalin were discussing ways to to speed up that judicial review or engage in some kind of settlement of the judicial review i mean this is this is the prime minister's office staff strategizing with a company who is fighting the federal prosecution service and you know instead of at the very least staying out of it not only were they not staying out of it which is generally what you do when things are before the courts yeah. they were strategizing with the company, fighting against the federal prosecution service. It's really, um, a fairly shocking part of the report. And I don't think that that part was clear before Mario Dion's report came out.
0: It almost makes the whole thing seem bigger than, you know, a back and forth between the PMO and the justice minister and whether it violates the independence of the attorney general's office. It feels like, you have a company who's getting direct access to gain the system with the help of the people who are supposed to be overseeing that system.
1: The crux of this issue really comes down to the fact that SNC-Lavalin refused to take no for an answer when they were told you won't get a remediation agreement by the prosecutors, which is maybe understandable. SNC-Lavalin, you know, uh, a lot is on the line for the company here Mm -hmm. in terms of wanting to avoid a corruption trial. But the prime minister's office also refused to take that no and refused to accept that the convention in this country is that the prime minister's office doesn't get to say who goes to trial and who doesn't. It is a constitutional principle.
0: The report also looked at – and you mentioned earlier – the idea that there were former Supreme Court justices involved here. One of them was hired as a lawyer for SNC-Lavalin. What does the report say about uh, the role of former judges in what has turned out to be um, a mess for the federal government?
1: This is a fairly shocking aspect of all of this, I think. There were four former Supreme Court justices involved in all parts of this scandal a politically explosive issue that even before it hit the newspapers anybody should have, should have been able to see how politically controversial all of this was who was deeply involved in it on snc side their legal counsel is frank iacobucci a former supreme court of canada justice iacobucci not only wrote his own legal opinion for SNC-Lavalin, which is obviously favorable to SNC-Lavalin, given he's their legal counsel, he also then uh, retained another former Supreme Court justice, John Major, to write his own legal opinion. Again, we haven't seen it, so I don't know for sure what it says, but given that it was written for SNC-Lavalin, it's reasonable to say it is advice on how to fight the federal prosecution service. And Mm -hmm. so that is what a former Supreme Court of Canada justice has written for the company. On then on Prime Minister's office side, and from what the report tells us, also SNC-Lavalin and Frankie Acabucci were involved in this as well, there were efforts to involve the former Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Beverly McLaughlin, and they had approached her and were talking to her about possibly giving Jody Wilson-Raybould some external advice on this or overseeing some kind of settlement, which again, I'm not sure what the settlement would have, on what terms that would have even happened, given the prosecution service is independent. But they were they were talking to Beverly McLaughlin, going behind the back of their own Attorney General to do so. Jody Wilson-Raybould did not know that was happening, and there was there were the report does not make clear how involved Beverly McLaughlin was here, but there were clearly conversations happening. And then after Jody Wilson-Raybould resigned from um, cabinet, she retained her own former Supreme Court of Canada (laughs) justice Thomas Cromwell. So you had people, you had you had all these essentially. Former top court justices, people who are supposed to be unimpeachable in their impartiality, engaged as essentially hired guns on all sides here. It is a fairly uh, astonishing fact that is we didn't realize how far that went until Dion's report came out.
0: I understand that when they're members of the Supreme Court, they're, you know, unimpeachable. They talk about impartiality. Canada doesn't have a system like the United States does where, uh, Supreme Court justices are essentially vetted for partisan bona fides. What is the concern that when they leave the court that they may be involved in writing legal opinions for people or being hired or retained for for private matters or government matters what is the the concern there
1: the concern is that it is using this position to lend a greater credibility to something than if you had just gone to a you know any other lawyer who had not been a sitting judge on the supreme court and so it you know it lends this extra firepower and this extra gravita to whatever position you're trying to advance. The the argument here, and you know, I talked to some law professors and other people and have read up on, you know, the Canadian Judicial Council is reviewing its ethical principles, partly for the fact that former judges are increasingly going into private practice. The problem is that it, it affects the public's perception of the impartiality of the courts. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that judges don't have opinions, obviously they do, but their legal opinions need to be fair. They need to not only be fair, but they need to be seen to be fair. And so the more that you have, I mean, Supreme Court of Canada justices in particular, and we're focusing on this part because, you know, lots of, there are judges at all levels who go back into private practice, but this is the very top court in the country. They, ret- they can stay on the court till they're 75, and so it's not like they're, you know, spring chickens when they retire. They also get a fairly hefty uh, pension yeah. for having sat on the Supreme Court of Canada. It's about a quarter of a million dollars. And so, why exactly did they? Do we want? Why do, does the Supreme Court of Canada justice need to be a, a hired gun in this matter? And it is cons- making a lot of people concerned that it is basically putting up the prestige of the supreme court for sale after you've left the bench
0: brian thanks for your time thank you Ten Three is produced by carson jarama special thanks to my guest brian platt more from him at nationalpost.com i'm dave Breckenridge. thanks for listening